Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today we have a treat with a uh, veteran of the Marine Corps, Mr. Harry Marshall. It's uh, great to have you on, Harry. Thanks for joining today. It's good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Definitely. And um, today we're going to talk, you know, Harry is an incident handler uh, and he does incident handling and response for a Fortune 100 company. Now, you can probably guess some of the, the bigger ones out there who that might be, but it actually will help us that he can get more into detail if he doesn't reveal a company and talk more openly, I think. And uh, I know on his LinkedIn, he's done the same. But uh, we're definitely, it's great to have you on. And just speaking with Harry before the show on uh, the cloud architecture, cloud security, operations in cloud, just a wealth of information. Um, and uh, I definitely am glad to have you on to talk about some of these things that we all might see either going on behind the scenes or we can learn, uh, you know, some self-help tips for our company or ourselves in cloud security. But Harry, tell us, how did you get to uh, the point where you are now? Tell us about your career, your history, your interest, what uh, vocations you were interested in, how you got where you're at. Well, Chris, thanks for asking. I, I started out college in the 90s and really loved computers, but I had a burning desire to serve my country. And I uh, chose to go back into service. Uh, I did four years enlisted in the Marine Corps, and then I decided to go to school and then go back in as an officer. So um, while I was in college, I really enjoyed my time. But in the mid 90s, that was uh, cybersecurity was not a thing. Mm -hmm. And then I finished up my Marine Corps career. Deployed multiple times throughout that time frame. Uh, served in uh, Desert Storm in Somalia as a enlisted guy. Then I went on to Iraq and Afghanistan. But in 2016 or so, I decided to prepare for my transition. And I started my self-studies in earnest. Focused on cybersecurity. That was fascinating to me. I wanted to get into that field. And uh, I want to say that most everything I did can be replicated by anybody else by self-study through open source sources on the internet uh, through all the various sites or for very, very reasonable amounts of money at uh, these various training vendors. So long story short, uh, transitioned out of the military as a veteran, became in, in straight into instant handling and I've been doing it ever since. I love it. Uh, veterans are ideal cultural match uh, most today, most of today's enterprises are focused on the profit and business model where a veteran and incident handling especially is focused on defending the enterprise from attackers. And I think our mindset has already been conditioned to think along those lines. So I found it to be a very natural fit and I enjoy it. It's challenging and uh I feel like I'm making a difference every day when I come to work. Yeah. So that's my backstory there, Chris. Interesting. So w- when you say 
you did a lot of studying yourself, availability. Did you chase out or go after a certification then with self-study? Is that your the path you took? Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of both. you got to know what you're doing. So you're going to have to identify where your shortfalls might be, whether it's Linux, whether it's cloud, whether it's Windows, whether whatever the realm of cybersecurity you might need to brush up on. But certs, you can't. I have to emphasize that because to get in the door, that's that's what recruiters look for. Mm-hmm. They they want to they demonstrate a certain level of knowledge in a particular subject area. You have to be able to demonstrate that, and especially if you don't have a whole lot of experience. So certifications for sure that's a must, especially getting in the door and then maintaining that proficiency and demonstrating that further advanced knowledge with your more advanced certification. So to me, in my experience, from what I've seen. That's that's the way to go. Certifications to demonstrate your technical proficiency are far more valuable than than a degree. All right. Well, let's hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back to get into the meat of you know cloud security and uh, issues that he that uh, Harry can give us a running into. Be right back. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. Uh, on today, Harry Marshall, um, who is a incident handler for a Fortune 100 company. Um, and uh, we were, we're, we're keeping at that level so that he can get into detail about things he might see without identifying what companies might be related to that. Uh, so one of the things I was very interested to hear about is, you know, your experience here being hot on the ground. What is the recent trends in attacks uh, that you're experiencing uh, on cloud side? Okay, so cloud cloud is hard to crack because it's, it's inherently secure if you do it right. Uh, and that being said, I will tell you that attackers are lazy. Given the choice between attacking a hard target and a soft target, they're going to go for the soft target. It's less work. Uh, they only get paid if they're successful. So they want to go for the softer target. And a softer target is defined as something that might not be as well architected as as it should be, or it's not uh, ad- resources in the cloud that aren't adhering to best practice for security and or your own architecting standards for security. And for Amazon Web Services, AWS, for example, you could have policies that set certain standards for network access control, for open internet access on your security groups, on all any of the tools that AWS provides for their security functions and their defense and depth model. If, if something is left open, for example, due to an oversight, whether it's improperly deployed in the first place, 
or it was properly deployed and then it was altered for any one of the various reasons. You could have had uh, a developer run an update. You could have had architect go in and do something. You could have had uh, resources moved from pre-prod into prod without being uh, properly reconfigured for a production environment. And all of a sudden you have resources that are unnecessarily exposed to to an attacker when these guys, the attackers that is, are out looking for cloud resources that that, that do have uh, soft points that are open on certain ports or have other uh, protocols available so that they can leverage in order to get into that environment. So uh, a public facing cloud properly architected environment will have a very minimal uh, attack surface for an attacker to get into. And that is the number one thing that causes problems in the cloud. Because uh, in my opinion, it, it is a bit easier to secure some most resources in, in the cloud environment versus on-prem because you can you can reconfigure it so quickly. And if it's uh, EC2 instance or uh, S3 bucket that is not uh, properly uh, configured, it can be updated very, very quickly and or eradicated. You can, if you can fall back on a snapshot and you have a publicly facing EC2 instance that's been uh, compromised in some shape or form, the saying is you, you treat your cloud resources like cattle or an on-prem data centers, you treat them like pets. So there's no fear of eliminating uh, a, a server pool that's cloud sourced because you can recreate it within minutes from a golden image that is a known good image, configure it properly, and then the attacker that did have access to the improperly configured resources now is shut out within a matter of minutes, and you have very little downtime in production. So that's one of the beautiful things of working in the cloud, and that's one of its greatest uh, strengths is, is that capability set. Mm-hmm. You, you, but you have people that are just looking for open accounts on cloud processes, bots that are scanning that, and that's one yes. of the attacks points that you've seen the most. Uh, that's one way of getting in uh, improper configurations. Uh-huh. If you don't configure, let's say, a security group, for example, properly, and they're running a low, slow password group to get in and, and you're using uh, username passwords as your authentication process. That's not good either. Uh, API keys is the way to go. Uh, there's identity access management policies you can implement. That's one area that you need to look at and ensure your, your organization is adhering to best practice is the IAM policies that are implemented. How do your users access your cloud environments? Mm-hmm. Ensure that uh, they have least privilege already configured. That's that's something that's inherent in a security and best practice architected environment for for a cloud. So there's there's a lot of different layers to it. Uh, how how users access something, how it's uh, opened up to the internet. How can people access your cloud resources through your security layer defenses? Mm-hmm. And then once they get inside, if they do get inside. How will we know? Mm-hmm. 
Do, do we have alerts configured to detect changes? Do we have uh, uh, endpoint detection response agent deployed in your EC2s that will uh, detect potential malicious activity? Do you have uh, 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 data integrity uh, agents out there that will detect if your uh, data gets uh, altered, if, if malicious code gets put into your environment, how, how would you know that? What kind of alerting tool sets do you have deployed out there that will tell you these things? Do you have AV deployed onto your uh, production servers? That, those are the kinds of things you can't assume that attackers will not get into the cloud. Uh, the cloud is secure when it's done right. However, you hope, you hope for the best, but plan for the worst, right, Chris? So when they do get in and a determined attacker will get in eventually, uh, unfortunately, we don't have perfect security yet. That's why I have a job. Uh, <laughs> we, we have to know what to do about it and be able to react quickly to that. And if you can react quickly to it, you can greatly minimize the damage. Mm -hmm. I think we mentioned before how we can just kill a bunch of resources and, and recreate them from fresh to, to uh, not only contain, but eradicate uh, an attacker from your cloud environment as needed mm -hmm. with minimal impact to production. That's, that's very important. And when incident handling programs uh, across uh, Fortune 500 companies are looking at their cloud environment, they need a war game that. If, if they do get compromised, how does the security team interact with your uh, cloud architecture and cloud engineers to, uh, and, and what kind of permissions are needed at what management level in order to demonstrate, hey, we have an attacker, here's the indicators of compromise. How do we uh, then go about quickly and efficiently with a, a pre-approved plan to eliminate them and then stand back up our production environment so there's minimal impact. And that's that's in a very important consideration. And a lot of companies, they get uh, uh, they get a little complacent. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to work in the worst case scenario, which then they get caught out and they suffer the painful consequences of not having a good plan in place. Because uh, for whatever reason, Wargaming and planning for worst case scenario is not necessarily something that management likes to talk about. Yeah. They like to talk about how things are going well. And that is great mm -hmm. until the bad bad guys come along and do what bad guys do. Yeah. And then then what? Yeah. Let's take a break here from our sponsor. We we'll right back. I wanted to unpack that that process you you had mentioned determining the indicators of compromise you know addressing it handling it that's that uh and uh explain how you go about that be right back Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Harry Marshall talking about incident handling uh, for large large scale operations in the cloud. Um, and before the break, we had talked. You, you had mentioned that kind of 
identifying the 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 compromise, handling it, uh, you know, and what you do to respond. Unpack that in a little detail. Maybe go through an example of what has sure, happened right. in an instance of that. Uh, GitHub. Mm-hmm. GitHub is great uh, for collaboration, and it's fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of information available out there uh, for for people that use it for beneficial and productive reasons, and for um, attackers that will leverage the information on GitHub to do nefarious things. So an attacker, for example, could find an API key that a developer or developer group posted on uh, GitHub. And this this is a scenario that I ran across several years ago, not with my current enterprise. Uh, but for, for that scenario, they found the API key. They uh, then immediately leveraged that into AWS, which gave them authenticated permissions to go in and it was at uh, administrator uh, power user level. So not only were they able to uh, create uh, resources, but they were able to immediately maximize the entire uh, limit of EC2 instances for this uh, tenant at a very large instance size level. And what they did with that, they set up uh, crypto miners. As I said, it was several years ago during a bit of the Bitcoin craze and uh, crypto mining was a bit more of a preferred uh, exploitation and attack objective than it is now. So that happened, I think, on a four o'clock on a Friday, which is the witching hour in incident handling, because that is when if an attacker is going to do something pretty big, that's when it happens. Cause that's when everybody wants to go home for the weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. And boom, it broke out and we didn't even catch it for about 12 hours until the actual production environment just wasn't responding. And it, the, the administrators were looking at it going, what is going on with our environment? And they realized, well, the CPUs are at, Hundred percent, and they we didn't have the internal learning mechanism at the time to alert us when a certain uh, threshold of resources were created, or when CPU usage had been maximized over a certain amount of time. All those things are baked in that uh, you can leverage to alert you if something's just not right. Because uh, with how fantastic the monitoring and audit and compliance tools are now you can you can establish a baseline once you deviate like say your cpu should never run at more than 67 percent at that point they either scale up or can throw an alert and let you know what's going on inside your environment so you can take a look at it if we had any of those simple things set up we would have noticed it uh right away mm-hmm. um but uh we didn't and that that blew up and we had to go in and do a lot of cleanup. And when you do the IR lifecycle, part of that is looking at it and doing remediation, eradication, remediation. And then if if you're following best practice, you'll write up lessons learned and your reports that can go up the management chain and identify, hey, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is how we prevent it from happening in the future. Uh, and here are recommendations for management to then go in and uh, implement to prevent this from happening again. So that that is one real-world example of just 
little things being tied together where it could have probably been stopped or prevented from happening there in the first place, but it, it went wrong real quick. Uh, and I don't think they made too much cryptocurrency off 12 hours of, of running that stuff, but <laughs> they, uh, it, they definitely tried. I'll just say that much. Interesting. Um, so what do you see as common mistakes, pitfalls when it comes to setting up cloud for architecture? I think the common mistake is is that you have very smart people, architects and cloud, cloud engineers that working hard to build and maintain these resources for enterprises to use. And they, they know security is important and they, they want to do the right thing. But most, if not all of them, don't come from a security pure aspect. You don't see a whole lot of pen testers becoming cloud architects or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And once you get into a certain niche along those lines, you, you tend to stay in it. And they don't always know when you deploy resources that if I leave this open for 12 hours, it might not, because it's convenient for me to be able to administer my my resources. That could be really bad because it's a highly known uh, service or port that is used by attackers or common attack tools that then can be leveraged. And you want to minimize that attack surface. So having people who know how to attack the cloud look at how your resources are deployed and then kind of dig around a little bit, poke at it. And you need to test your, your environment by having your attackers, your in-house guys, your friendly, your red teamers or your pen testers go in and take a crack at your environment and make sure that it is being deployed properly. Also, you want to know if something gets deployed properly, but then gets changed. If something's in your cloud environment and gets modified or altered, whether it's for patching purposes or somebody went in and updated an app or whatever the case is and they left, uh, they changed the, conf- the configuration of your network, network ac- excuse me, network access control list, your NACL, or mm-hmm. your security groups or any of the other uh, tools that you would use for defense and death. And you, you see that stuff get opened up and then, oops, I forgot about it. And then it's opened up when your initial baseline is inherently secure. Well, now it's no longer inherently secure. How are you going to know that? Do you have uh, something that alerts you, some kind of tool set, some kind of uh, uh, program that will then throw an alert saying, hey, this is outside of baseline? Mm-hmm. You want to have that kind of uh, push information going to you. You can't wait on something really bad to happen before you figure out you are not adhering to your baseline at that point. So it's important to know when things fall out of baseline to get that alert. It might not be an attack per se, but it's something that could lead to an attack if it's not addressed. Definitely. So um, you, you had, uh, we had, we talked before the show about uh, you, you know, your, your transition at the beginning from being a, a veteran in the Marine Corps to, uh, you know, your, your work where you're at. Um, if you're talking to, to people coming out of the military or just making a choice whether they want to or not or what they want to do, how would you uh, recommend and what would you tell them about moving into your, your field or, you know, what the capabilities are, what they should do, how they should make it, make it, make their path? 
Yeah, so that's that's great. I'm not going to specifically endorse any of these certification uh, companies themselves, but I will say you can look at job descriptions in this field and figure out what is a good way to start studying. It's all out there. It's it's either on uh, YouTube. There's uh, other learning sites. If you want to get into cloud, there's cloud training sites you can look at, and just start out small with the basic stuff. Mm-hmm. You. You can learn so much by just digging around. You can you you can go to capture the flag uh, contest or, or meet meetups and talk to people that are already in the field. And these guys and girls, they're awesome, and they, they love talking about their job. I learned more in a two day, you know, hackathon talking to all the great folks that are at this thing that. Look, nothing like me because I got my shortcut, you know, military haircut and, you know, squared away, you know, blod khaki dress that I was conditioned to wear from the from the military. And then there's huge colorful explosion of characters that you interact with that are just so awesome to, to talk with and hang out with and learn from. These people love to tell you everything about their jobs and how, how you know, what what to do to train and learn to get better at doing what they do. Uh, that is that's the way to go, and it's so much fun. I'm intellectually challenged every day, constantly learning new things. There's never a boring day, and then when you do a full investigation, and you figure out root cause, and you you're you're fixing what a bad guy broke, it's such a sense of satisfaction. I get the greatest job satisfaction, and I work with great guys and girls. Uh, on a day-to-day basis it's just a fantastic field to get in veterans are a natural fit i also want to caution veterans don't expect to come in and make big huge bucks and be put in positions of responsibility out of the gate you're starting over and you're gonna have to start at the bottom and work your way up don't be afraid of that it with the uh, natural leadership and Discipline and learning ethic that comes out of veterans that applied to uh, a new career, you will advance rapidly. Uh, Don't worry about that. You just have to get in the door and knocking out some certificates. uh, Most people can't afford to, especially if they have a family, to leave one career and take four years off without an income and then maybe go into a new career field after they start job on for six to 12 months. You need to start job hunting while you're still on active duty. And in order to achieve that, start studying and try to get into the door. Apprenticeships, you know, in particular, are a great way to go. So all that uh, being said, cybersecurity, great field for veterans. I love mentoring veterans, especially on LinkedIn, uh, you know, hooking up with them and, and telling them, you know, they can do it. And then seeing them, you know, Three six months later, they land an awesome job, and they're just like, "I can't believe it! I did it! This is so awesome! What a great field!" And they never had really envisioned going into it. And we need them. Cybersecurity. Oh my gosh, it is hard to find good people and to to work in it, and it's growing all the time, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. So we we need to reach out to them and encourage that as much as possible. And I, I'll, t- I'll be honest, here's my personal opinion. Four-year college program, not the way to go. It's overly priced. It takes way too long. 
And the best instructors don't work on a, on a schoolyard. They don't work on a college. They're, they're out there uh, doing what they like to do in the field, in the community. They're already working at jobs uh, of some kind. And those are the folks you want to talk to. And there's all kinds of opportunities to talk to them through uh, the various cybersecurity cons, whether it's B-sides or go to, go to a local one. Don't go to the big national ones. Go to a local one. That's, that's where you meet your community people and that's your built-in network and they're going to do everything they can to help you and and lead you in the right direction and get you into a, a gig that is something that you would really enjoy yeah all right well thanks a lot for joining today harry it's definitely been a pleasure we enjoyed having you on thanks chris it's been my pleasure too you have a fantastic day sir you too i appreciate you all right bye we hope you have enjoyed this episode of new cyber frontier Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.